0: Okay, three, two, one, oh my goodness, good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler, this is Strong Opinion Sports, thank you so very much for tuning in today, um, I hope you've had a great week. Today is Friday, January 4th, and I have had a, a busy week, but a fantastic week and i it's been fun like a lot of good football a lot of good support stuff going on and uh, i don't want to waste your time i want to jump right into it i want to talk about the green bay packers first so there was a hot name surrounding the green bay packers coaching vacancy right now the number one name i'm hearing from everybody is the new england patriots offensive coordinator josh mcdaniels and i personally think this is a terrible idea i do not think josh mcdaniels is a good fit to work with the Green Bay Packers and their quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. A lot of friends I've talked to, people I know who are Packers fans go, well, you know, Josh McDaniels, he he managed Tom Brady. He, he worked with Tom Brady the last couple of years. He managed him. And I go, what reality do you live in? You don't manage Tom Brady. You're talking about Tom Brady, who is one of the recorded, like r- a lot of people say this, the most coachable quarterback of all time. That's why he works. He's not super talented. He works hard. He's really coachable. And you say, "Well, yeah, but he babysat Tom Brady for the last couple of years. Nobody babysits Tom Brady." And and I don't think that Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers are comparable at all. I will I will concede this that at 39, 40, 41, I'm sure Tom Brady's a little bit more he doesn't put up with as much BS as they probably used to. Right? Tom Brady has high expectations for his teammates from the people around him. He wants to win games. He wants to succeed. Doesn't put up a lot of BS. But I don't think Tom Brady's hard to work with. And I don't think you can say that because Tom Brady and Josh McDaniels work, therefore Aaron Rodgers and Josh McDaniels would work. You're talking about Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is sullen. He death stares people on the sidelines. He calls people out. He does his own thing. The, the plays you call, Aaron Rodgers does not necessarily run them. Why do the Patriots work? The Patriots work because of the system. And... That's why Tom Brady's so successful. Aaron Rodgers doesn't run a system. He does his own thing. He ad-libs all the time. I don't think Aaron Rodgers and Josh McDaniels are a good fit to work together at all. My belief is that Aaron Rodgers needs a defensive-minded head coach. I don't know. Here, here are two things we know for a fact about Aaron Rodgers. One, Aaron Rodgers has an ego. Again, sullen, calls people out, stares people down, doesn't run his offense. He's got an ego. And the other thing we know about Aaron Rodgers is that when you give him a defense, it does work. Love him, hate him, regardless. If you give Aaron Rodgers a defense, he can win games. But I I hear Josh McDaniels, an offensive-minded head coach, I cringe. I want Aaron Rodgers to have a defensive-minded head coach. Just my personal opinion. A head coach is different from your buddy offensive coordinator. Aaron Rodgers needs a buddy offensive coordinator to be his guy, to, to kind of speak to his ego, to let him do his own thing. Head coach, buddy, different different positions. You need a defensive-minded head coach to run the team and then need to hire one of Aaron Rodgers' buddies to be their offensive coordinator. That's what I would do when I hear that Josh McDaniels is the number one person being considered for the Packers job. I legitimately cringe, not just because... He's an offensive-minded head coach, but because people have the wrong belief. Just because you work with Tom Brady does not mean you will necessarily work well with Aaron Rodgers. I don't know that a lot of people will work well with Aaron Rodgers, and I think the Packers need to get Aaron Rodgers a defensive-minded head coach rather than an offensive-minded head coach. Uh, We have a great show today. I'm really excited. Uh, We're going to talk about George Kittle, a, a 49ers tight end. We're going to talk about the four wildcard playoff games this weekend. We'll talk about the New Year's Day bowls. We'll talk about Justin Herbert. We're going to talk about Justin Fields, the Georgia quarterback who's transferring a lot of really good stuff today. And uh, I'm just so excited, man. I, I love doing this show. And I took a break last week. I feel just rejuvenated. The sport, the show is pouring out of me and it makes me so happy. Remember, if you have no idea, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube, as well as my best, most interesting clips. Help me grow by telling your friends about this show. Share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. Help me grow by telling your friends about this show. So, George Kittle. (laughs) George Kittle is the 49ers tight end. And in my opinion, George Kittle is the best tight end in the entire NFL. I want to just appreciate him for a moment uh, because a lot of times when people think of the best tight end in football, we think of our brains immediately go to Travis Kelsey, the Kansas City Chiefs tight end. Some people think Greg Olson. Other people think Zach Ertz, maybe from the Eagles. If you're really uninformed, you think of Rob Gronkowski, even though Rob Gronkowski clearly is old. His body's catching up to him. Nobody really seems to pay attention to the San Francisco 49ers. Let's be honest, it's because they're not a very good team. Their quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, got hurt. They had a bad year, didn't win a lot of games. People completely overlook San Francisco. But San Francisco 49ers, their tight end, George Kittle, he's unreal. And we need to just appreciate him for a moment. Two players this year, two tight ends this year, broke the tight end receiving yards record. In second place all time for receiving yards in a season for a tight end is... Travis Kelsey, the, the Chiefs tight end, and in first place, the guy who broke the record and held the record, George Kittle. So Travis Kelsey had 1,336 yards. George Kittle had 1,377 yards. He has the most receiving yards for a tight end in a single season. But Here's why he's impressive, and here's why George Kittle is the best tight end in football. What's the story behind the record? Not only does George Kittle have more yards than any tight end in a single season ever, George Kittle did it with three different quarterbacks. He started the year with Jimmy Garoppolo. Then his ba- Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt. His backup CJ Bethard came in. Then CJ Bethard got hurt. And they went to their third string quarterback, Nick Mullins. And wow, George Kittle even with a third string quarterback. Three different quarterbacks in one season. George Kittle broke the tight end receiving yards record. Travis Kelsey had Patrick Mahomes throwing him the ball. Probably the guy who's going to win NFL MVP. A lot of people say Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in all of football right now. Yeah, it's less impressive when you hear the story behind the yardage, behind the breaking the record. Not only did, again, George Kittle have more yards than Travis Kelsey, but Travis Kelsey, it's a lot less impressive when you realize who he played with. And by the way, have you ever watched Travis Kelsey play football? Drop, drop. Drop The guy makes a lot of big plays. He also drops a lot of passes. George Kittle doesn't. George Kittle's like a Hoover vacuum. He sucks in everything you throw at him. I don't know. The fact that not only did George Kittle play with three backup quarterbacks, he had fewer drops, more yards. George Kittle absolutely is the best tight end in football. I want to stay on the 49ers very, very briefly. Uh, It was announced recently that the 49ers fired their strength and conditioning coach, Ray Wright after just two years and I think it's probably the right move just because the 49ers have really really struggled with injuries for the last two seasons bad you know bad bad luck over and over and over again and all these injuries may not be directly a byproduct of Ray Wright and his strength and conditioning coaching it may just be bad luck but at the rate the 49ers are struggling with injuries I think it's time to do something and make some kind of change and so um, I, I feel bad for Ray Wright I hate hearing that people are fired Probably the right move for the 49ers, though, is they're trying to find a way to stop having so many injuries. They fired their strength and conditioning coach. Probably the right move in San Francisco. I want to talk about Wild Card Weekend. Um, First, I'm so excited, man. The games this weekend are truly just fantastic. We have four matchups this weekend. A lot of people are saying it might be the best Wild Card Weekend of all time. Look, I'm, I'm 21 years old. I don't have enough perspective to know that or not. Uh, it, it does certainly feel like a really great weekend though. And so uh, here are, again, I want to repeat this. I want to start the segment over probably. There are four wild card games this weekend and it's going to be fantastic. I feel really strongly about three of them. One of them is a great matchup. I believe will be a fantastic, really close game, but I want to go through all four matchups, kind of share my thoughts, who I think is going to win and and then the one game at the end that I just have no idea. I think it's going to be fantastic. So first, let's talk about Sunday morning. The LA Chargers go to Baltimore and play the Baltimore Ravens. I feel really, really strongly that the LA Chargers are going to win this game. The Chargers played the Ravens literally two weeks ago. in Week 16 of the NFL season, the Chargers played the Raiders. The, Ra- uh, the, Ravens. the Ravens actually beat won that game. The Ravens beat the Chargers two weeks ago, 22-10. to 10. But here's why that's a disadvantage for the Ravens. The Ravens' defense is quite gimmicky. I don't mean any offense to Lamar Jackson when I say this, but a lot of misdirections, a lot of play action, a lot of Lamar Jackson running the ball, not a lot of traditional offense being run where you you line up and run a better scheme. It's a lot of misdirections and things like that. It's gimmicky. I love the Ravens. I love Lamar Jackson. He's still a year away from understanding defenses at a high level. At being a guy, I'd say, yeah, he really has a high level of ability to throw the football so my point is this the Chiefs uh, the Chargers excuse me the Chargers have a massive advantage against the Ravens in Baltimore because of the fact that they just saw the Ravens scheme two weeks ago I love Lamar I think it's still too early for him and I do have one wrinkle so I think the Chargers have the advantage they have a slightly better roster and they just saw the Ravens two weeks ago they know how to prepare for their defense I think Lamar Jackson could get stifled there is a fun wrinkle though the Chargers do know the Ravens scheme. But it's very possible the Ravens understand that the Chargers know their scheme. But what I'm saying is, is it possible that the Ravens head coach, John Harbaugh, says, hmm, we got to change something. We have to do something unexpected if we want to win this game and beat the Chargers. We'll see. I think it's, I'm, I'm curious if the Ravens do something unexpected, run a different offense, run some different schemes, do something no one sees coming. That could be how they beat the Chargers this week. Um, but again, the offense of that the Ravens are running, Lamar Jackson leads. He, I think he broke the record for most running back, or most quarterback rushing attempts ever, and he didn't start to week 11. So I don't know. I, it's not, I, I mean, no offense to Lamar Jackson. I think he's still a year away, and I think the offense is going to struggle against the LA Chargers. How about the Cowboys and the Seahawks in Dallas on Saturday night? These are very similar teams, both run the ball really, really well. A lot of play action passing. And everybody's picking the Dallas Cowboys to beat the Seattle Seahawks. Everyone said, well, the Dallas Cowboys front seven. Their defensive line is really, really good. You can't run the ball. They're stifling. They're using all these buzzwords. And that's fantastic. I'm really glad everyone believes that. Uh, Personally, I, in playoff games especially, right? We saw the the Cowboys beat the Saints earlier this year, where Drew Brees, an outstanding quarterback, Did get stifled by the Cowboys defense. That's earlier in the season. That's not in the playoffs. And that was a game where it really showed a lot of the flaws for the New Orleans Saints. I don't think it's going to happen here. In the playoffs especially, I turn to who has a better quarterback. Because I love defensive lines. I think they're fantastic that you need them to win. But you think that's going to take over a game? The Cowboys defensive line? Maybe. We'll see. But if I'm a betting man, I'm putting my money on Russell Wilson rather than Dak Prescott. The game is going to come down to who has a better quarterback. The Seahawks have a better quarterback. I like Russell Wilson tremendously. I'm not going to bet money on Dak Prescott. I don't feel good about him. And so in a team of, in a matchup of teams that have very similar styles, run heavy, play good defense, it comes down to who has a better quarterback. The Seattle Seahawks have a far better quarterback than Dak Prescott. I might be wrong. I'd be happy for Dak Prescott if you want. I really like him, the guy. But I think the Seahawks are going to beat the Cowboys in Dallas on Saturday night. The third most interesting game of the weekend, and and not that I'm ranking them, but the third game I want to talk about. Sunday afternoon, the Eagles go to Chicago and play the Bears. And and personally, I'm rooting for the Philadelphia Eagles. I hope they beat the Bears for a couple reasons. One, I love Nick Foles. He's a great story. He's a backup quarterback who's leading his team. Super, like, it's just cool. I really, really root for backup quarterbacks all the time. Another reason I want the Bears to lose and the Eagles to win is because I personally want the Saints to win the Super Bowl, and I do not want the Saints to have to play the Chicago Bears down the road. I would rather them play the Eagles. The Bears are fantastic. And so, while I want the Eagles to win, I think that the Bears are the better team and probably going to win this game on Sunday. The Bears have the most terrifying defense in the entire NFL. The Bears are. I mean. If there's one team I said. It's a defensive led team that could win the Super Bowl. Bam. It's the Chicago Bears. I, I like Mitch Trubisky. I don't think he's going to lead his team. But the Bears defense is good enough. To lead Mitchell Trubisky to a Super Bowl. If Mitchell Trubisky just plays average. Plays a normal marginal game. Good enough. Because you have the Bears defense. Who's terrifying. Led by Khalil Mack. They're incredible. So I, I believe the Bears are going to beat The Eagles. And um, I I feel sad about that. I I would, again, I'd rather the Bears lose because I like Nick Foles, and I'd rather the Saints play Nick Foles than the Bears' defense. But I think the Bears are going to win on Sunday. Finally, Saturday, um, early, it's an early game on Saturday. It's 1.30 Pacific, 4.30 Eastern time. The Colts are traveling to Houston to play the Houston Texans. And, man, I think this is a fantastic matchup. I have no idea who's going to win this game. I feel, again, I feel strongly that the Chargers beat the Ravens, Seahawks are going to beat the Cowboys, the, what's a, I can't even remember the third game. I think the Bears are going to beat the Eagles, but I do not feel strongly about this game at all. The Colts, Texans, no idea. It's two division rivals, the AFC South teams, the Colts and the Texans, and two really good quarterbacks who've had kind of underappreciated seasons. I have no idea. I think Andrew Luck's unbelievable. It's pretty funny. You give him just a little bit of help. And Andrew Luck led the Colts to the playoffs. Shocker. No one seems to appreciate how good Andrew Luck is. Um, But I've talked about how the Bears' defense is terrifying. There's no defense I'd rather play less than the Bears. I I, I do not want to play the Bears' defense at all. Because they terrify me. Deshaun Watson, the Houston Texans quarterback, is equally terrifying. I do not want to play Deshaun Watson. He runs like Lamar Jackson, and throws like Andrew Luck. He's he's incredibly versatile as a quarterback. Nobody seems to appreciate Deshaun Watson either. They kind of we get all excited about Patrick Mahomes and Drew Brees and everybody else. How about Deshaun Watson? I feel really really bad for the Colts linebackers on Saturday, Saturday tomorrow, that have to play the Houston Texans. You got to chase a guy all over the place because not only can he run, he can throw the ball over your head, 70 yards into one on one coverage with great accuracy he can also extend plays and throw the ball downfield it's really really hard to come up with a way to stop Deshaun Watson he's terrifying I think it's going to be a fantastic matchup between the Colts and the Texans um I I think I'd give the edge to the Texans they have a better roster they did win their division but it's going to be a really fun fight I can't wait to see and overall this whole weekend you know wild card weekend chock full of really great games Bears Eagles a lot of good stuff I can't wait to watch You know, Seahawks-Cowboys. is going to be a fantastic, really physical game. And I don't know what's going to happen. I, I think the Ravens-Chargers, if any games will blow out, it could be the Ravens-Chargers. But all in all, just a great weekend of four fantastic football games. And I'm excited to see. We'll talk about it on Tuesday. Are my predictions right? Am I wrong? I have no idea. And it's going to be fun to see Like, why am I wrong and where am I wrong and where am I right and what am I right about. So we'll talk about that again on Tuesday. We'll check back in. And those are kind of my thoughts on... Wildcard weekend in 2018 of the NFL playoffs. Okay, a uh, big story today. It's it's been a developing story. We kind of got some uh, some break, some, some new breaking ground in the story today. <clears throat> Georgia backup quarterback Justin Fields is reportedly going to transfer to Ohio State. He's a former five-star recruit, and if you don't know what a five-star recruit is, it's kind of an arbitrary number that people in the sports world give rankings to high school quarterbacks. You're five-star if you're the best, four-star if you're second best, third-star if you're kind of lower tier, all the way down to one star. A five-star quarterback is really, really rare, and Justin Fields was a five-star quarterback, which means a lot of people who watch sports said Justin Fields is an incredible quarterback we think could be an NFL quarterback someday. And I have two thoughts when I hear that Justin Fields is transferring to leave Georgia. First one is this. I think it's a good move. Go to Ohio State. You have a better chance to play. And I, I just, I don't think it's, it's smart for a five-star quarterback to sit on the bench. I don't. I think a five-star quarterback, especially a guy as talented as Justin Fields, he wants an opportunity to play. I get it. I understand. Go to Ohio State. You have a better chance to play down the road. Hey, well done. But my second thought is if Justin Fields was so desperate to play, Why did he go to Georgia? Why, when he was an 18-year-old kid in high school and he committed to Georgia, what was the thought process? Why would you do that? Georgia already had a starting quarterback. And they also had Jacob Eason, another quarterback. They had two five-star quarterbacks at the time ahead of Justin Fields when he decided to go to Georgia. Boneheaded man, what are you doing? I don't understand what Justin Fields was thinking. And it shows a little bit of arrogance, maybe, that Justin Fields said, well, I'm better. I can beat out... Jake Fromm, the starting quarterback for Georgia. Why would you think that? He, he had a great year last year. He led his team to the national championship. And even with this information in his head, Justin Fields still decided to go to Georgia. Seems like a massive mistake. I've never understood why people, and I think a lot of five-star quarterbacks do this. They have kind of arrogance to say, well, I can show up and play. Clearly, it didn't work for Justin Fields. I don't know. I, I don't want to get into his head. I don't know what the thought process was. I clearly don't understand it. But if people want to go play somewhere, hey, that's fine. I get it. Although I think it's really interesting. Why don't people from the beginning, when they're 18 in high school, go somewhere they have a chance to play immediately if they want to play? I, I don't get it. I don't I don't understand an 18-year-old kid's decision-making. Clearly, it's not that good. But it's not like there's not people around him giving him advice and saying, hey, uh, did no one tell Justin Fields, hey, you know, Georgia has a starting quarterback. You sure you want to go there and play? They just signed a five-star quarterback, Jake Frum. He's their quarterback as a true freshman. You want to go play there? I don't know. I don't get it. And here's a ridiculous, ridiculous number I'm going to read to you. 11 of the last 19 five-star ranked quarterbacks have transferred since 2010. What that means is that if you sign a five-star quarterback to be a part of your college football team, they're more likely to transfer and leave than they are to stay. That's unbelievable. That's terrible. And I think part of this is recruiting, right? A lot of people are like, is Justin Fields an idiot? Well, you don't know what Justin Fields is being told when he was in high school. Coaches say whatever they think they have to to get a guy to sign. And once they sign, they're kind of locked in and they're stuck there. The reason why we see quarterbacks transfer is because quarterbacks are so high profile that they can't afford to leave and transfer. But a lot of guys get promised things that don't pan out. And then they're stuck and they're stuck in Georgia, 10 states from their hometown, who knows? And it's, it's a miserable existence. A lot of coaches do that. They do say, you're going to come in and play right away. You'll be a starter. You'll compete. It's all lies. But once they get them to sign on the dotted line, it's too late. So maybe some of that goes into five-star quarterbacks and the way the recruiting process works. Another thing is just that 18-year-old kids make bad decisions. Again, if your team has a starting quarterback, don't go there expecting to play your first year. That's ridiculous. And so, I don't know. Some of it's mental toughness. Some guys don't stick it out. Some guys are like Max Brown, the former USC quarterback, who realized he wasn't going to play and decided to go somewhere else to have a chance to at least be on the field. Um, So Justin Fields, it's a lot of mixed, a lot of stuff going on. Probably was oversold the idea of Georgia a little bit. He probably didn't understand the decision he was making fully and thought he could beat out Jake Frum, clearly. And some of it was just, look, he's leaving to go get a chance to play. And I respect that. I think it's right. Maybe he changed his mind. He thought he'd have fun at Georgia. Realized, like, I can't be a backup. I can't do this. And so Justin Fields has a chance to start at Ohio State. It's a good move that he's leaving. Um, He's going to have to sit out a year. And in that year, Tate Martell will likely become Ohio State's starting quarterback. And uh, that's another thing, a lot of fun drama behind Tate Martell, who he is. I've I've met him. I mm, don't—I met him in passing. I, I don't have a lot of stuff. My initial impression was kind of a cocky guy who really believes in himself, sure, Kind of full of himself, maybe. Um, but Tate Martell did send out a tweet, a, a kind of indirect uh, message to Justin Fields saying, uh, it was something all, all along the lines of, if you've already failed once, be careful where you go. Basically, Tate Martell saying, I'm going to be the starting quarterback at Ohio State. I dare you to come here. And interesting, uh, but I think it's possible a year from now, Justin Fields is actually still going to be Ohio State's quarterback because I think Justin Fields, better passer, all-around better runner than Tate Martell. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Tate Martell develops into a fantastic quarterback. I don't have a lot of faith in Tate Martell. I don't think he's that great. And uh, I think Justin Fields down the road could very much and very likely become Ohio State's next starting quarterback. So I I wish Justin Fields the best. I don't know why he ever chose to go to Georgia. makes no sense to me. But I think he's a fantastic quarterback. We'll see if he becomes an NFL-level quarterback. But uh, raw talent, raw ability, ability to run, Great arm strength. This guy has all the tools and stuff you need. I don't know much about him as a person. I don't know. Because that it's a lot of what it takes to be a quarterback is your mental side. Do you understand defenses? Are you a good leader? Yada, yada. We don't know. I don't know anything about that. But I'm excited to see what happens as Justin Fields down the road. And I think leaving Georgia is the right thing for him. He should go somewhere where he has a true chance to play and become the starting quarterback. <clears throat> um... Here's a thought. I got a comment recently. Someone commented on a video a while ago. They said something to the effect of, why does, or how does Alabama always get all these great players? And I kind of laughed, I kind of chuckled. They said, look, it's recruiting. If you were a top high school football player, and you knew you were going to have a couple years in college to stop. Like a, It's like you get on a bus stop, you get to walk for a little bit, and then you go back on another bus and there for a long time. So if, if you're going to make a brief pit stop in college football before you go to the NFL, where would you rather go? Here's the selling point on Alabama. And Alabama now sells itself because of its success over the years. If you go to Alabama, you're a top-level high school football player. You go, you're there for three years, you have fun, you win a bunch of games, everyone around you is really good. A lot of guys are going to the NFL all the time. with a big legacy there. You go, you have fun, you play for three years, you win a lot of games, then you move on to the NFL. That's the very simple recruiting pitch to Alabama is you go, you win, you have fun, you're around good people. Bam, easy, enough, enough said. And look, it's whether it's Alabama, Clemson, I'd love to play for Oklahoma. I think playing in Lincoln Riley's offense, if I was a quarterback, oh man. Um, and I mean, I played quarterback in high school, I, a little bit in college, I would love to play in an offense like Lincoln Riley's offense at Oklahoma. It's fantastic. But there are three programs in college uh, that 18 year old kids in high school don't seem to appreciate very well. And these are not, because here's the thing that people don't understand. Going to a really, really badly run football program is the worst. I have a lot of friends who play college football. Being on a team that's O 11 with bad administration, no support, no money behind the program, and mean coaches or bad coaches that aren't very good, that's a nightmare. And a lot of players go to really bad programs because, oh, well, it's, it's this or it's that and the name brand, rather than thinking with a lot of depth behind the decision. So I've compiled three colleges that I really am a fan of and three, I think, underappreciated college football programs that I think are, they're not the best programs, but they're really well run. They have great leadership and great coaching, and it'd be fun if I was a, I was a high school st- student, if I was a kid getting ready to go play college football, I would give a look at all three of these schools because I think they deserve a conversation and deserve to be considered by a lot of people who maybe don't really fully appreciate them. The number one school on this list is the University of Utah. It comes down to coaching. Their leadership is fantastic. Kyle Whittingham, the head coach of Utah, has been there for 15 years. He's won 120 games. He's got 61 losses, and he's got a really, really good culture in place. If I was a kid with an offer to Utah, oh, it'd be really hard to get me to not go there. It's not just about football with Kyle Whittingham. He's a great guy. I think you'd learn a lot about life. You'd learn a lot about people, and you're going to win a lot of games. I mean, they is it 13 of the last 15 years they've went to a bowl game? They're 11-2 and in bowl games, Utah is, in the last 15 years? That's unbelievable. You go to bowl games, you win. Players fight really hard for Kyle Whittingham. You're going to be a part of a football program with really physical football teams that play great defense. They run the ball well. Kyle Whittingham seems to value. He's a defensive coach, but he values the ability to run the football. I think you could learn a lot about life as a person, have a lot of fun, win a lot of games at Utah. I think Utah is a underappreciated program nationally throughout college football. i mean, good. Raider. Good leadership is so people don't seem to think about that very often. You want to be around good men because the majority of guys who play college football do not go on to play in the NFL. You want to be around someone who's going to invest in you as a person, help you sit, set up yourself for the rest of your life. And a lot of guys don't think about any of these things. Not to mention, here's a thought about Utah. You get to live in Salt Lake City, a fantastic, fantastic city. I like hiking. I, just, I would love to live in Salt Lake. Uh, I think it would be fantastic. The second program that is, I think, underappreciated nationally is the University of Iowa Hawkeyes. Very, for the very similar reasons that Utah's underappreciated, it's Iowa's head coach, Kirk Ferentz. He's a fantastic leader. He's a good guy. I've watched a lot of interviews with him. I mean, he's been at Iowa for 20 years, and 16 of those 20 years, Iowa's been to a bowl game. Iowa, they're not the best of the Big Ten. They're not dominating the Big Ten. They've had a couple 10-win seasons. For For the most part, Iowa wins eight, goes eight and five every year. They kind of have... Solid wins, but they're never the top of the Big Ten. But man, if you look around college football, every single college football program seems to have some year where they're like 1-11 or 0-12 or 3-9. And, and you never have that at Iowa. They had one year in 20 years where they went 4-8. and 8. That's their worst season of all time in the last 20 years at least. That's their worst year in 20 years is the 4-8 and 8 year with Kirk Ferens. I think 2012, something like that. My point is this, though. The consistency is really, really high at Iowa. You get a really, really great man as a head coach, a guy who seems to care about players and care about people. I have never been to Iowa City. I feel pretty lukewarm about it, but I do know this. Iowa games have a great atmosphere around them. I have friends who've gone to Iowa. They really love it, and they love being a part of that program. Uh, They win consistently. They play for a good man at, at coach. And I think Iowa just is somewhat underappreciated. They run the ball really well. They play physical defense. Again, they're never the best of the Big Ten. I think they've went to one Big Ten championship. But if you want to have a good time, win the majority of your games, be around good people. Go to Iowa. I think a lot of people don't seem to appreciate those factors. You want to be around really good people. It really sucks, again, to be at a program. I've got friends who play college football. Say this again. There's nothing worse than being at a terrible Terrible program. 0-11, I went on a, I went on a like season my freshman year. We didn't win a single game of freshman football. It was horrendous, awful, and it sucked. You don't want to be on a team like that. I have friends who play college football on really bad teams. It's not fun. You want to be at a program that has administrative support. Here's a team that I think is really underrated nationally that nobody thinks about. And, and for good reason. I get why. Eastern Washington University, a Division I AA school, is a really underrated program. So tomorrow, on January 5th, Eastern Washington plays for the Division I AA, the FCS National Championship. Uh, I have a lot of friends on that team. I'm from Washington. And I don't know that Eastern Washington is going to win. They're playing North Dakota State, who's like, they win like every single year. I don't know that Eastern can beat them. But man, that is a great program. It's also really interesting about Eastern Washington. Here's why Eastern Washington is so impressive. They've had a couple different head coaches since the early 2000s. They had Paul Wolfe, where they won Big Sky Conference Championships at Eastern Washington. Then Bo Baldwin came in, and Bo Baldwin won a national championship at Eastern, won a lot of conference championships. And now Aaron Best is the third offensive, is the third head coach in years. Aaron Best is another head coach for Eastern Washington. He's now led them to a, a national championship. And so... The key to Eastern Washington football is they have a lot of administrative support. I hear a lot of players, and I've never understood this. If you get an offer to Toledo, Akron, Bowling Green, I do not understand why anybody would go to a school like that. When you could go to a school like Eastern, where football matters. Go to Eastern Washington and Cheney Washington. Football matters. I know that it's D1AA, not D1. But man, to be at a great program and... (laughs) have a lot of fun, and win games, that's not an that's an underrated experience people don't seem to understand. They let their ego get in the way. You go, I'm going to Akron. I'm going to play you know, Toledo, and it's D1. Well, D1 or D1AA, there's not that much of a difference. And wouldn't you rather have people actually go to your games? Wouldn't you rather win games? Here's what you get at Eastern Washington. It's really fun. You have great coaching. You win a lot of games. A lot of people show up to your games. And you still have a chance at the NFL. My buddy Samson Ibukom played with me at David Douglas High School in Portland. Plays for the LA Rams right now. Literally, the guy, he was fantastic at Eastern Washington. Moved on, was drafted, went to the NFL. It's not like you go to a D1 AA school, you have no chance to play in the NFL. If you're good enough, they'll find you. And I think you have just as good a chance to go to the NFL from Eastern Washington, Eastern Washington as you do at Marshall, North Texas, Akron, Miami of Ohio, all these kind of trashy, this watch a Miami of Ohio game, watch a ball state football game, dude, there's nobody there. That's a horrible, less attendance in a high school football game. That does not look fun at all. If I'm a kid nationally, if I, if you called me the minute Bowling Green offered me a scholarship, I go, oh, no, no, no. Let me call Eastern Washington right now and go play for a program or I would have fun and win a lot of games. So those are my three underrated, underappreciated college football programs nationally. It's Iowa, Utah, and Eastern Washington Um, I just think people don't often appreciate being around good people and being around a good culture enough. And those are three really good college football cultures that consistently win and have really good people leading things from the top. Okay. I hope that wasn't boring. I don't know. I've never, ever talked about that stuff. Um, There was a time where I, you know, um, dang, I can't can't talk about this yet. I I, I have cool stuff coming up ahead. I can't, can't share my personal life yet. Um, but those are three programs that have, I'll say this, if I was going to go play college football somewhere, I would go to one of those schools. I, I really, really, uh, if I wanted to play division one football, that's where I would go because I really, really respect their coaching. I think they're fantastic programs with good leadership. Okay. I want to now move on to the new year's Eve bowls. We'll talk about the new year's bowls. Uh, we'll talk about three receivers. I would draft that nobody really talks about, and we will talk about Justin Herbert and then call it a day, call it a show. Um, Actually, I want to play a game with you guys first. Please leave a comment. Do you think I wear pants? <laughs> I I record the show from the waist up. And you have no idea. Am I wearing sweatpants? Am I wearing basketball shorts? Am I wearing just my underwear? I wonder what you guys think. Um, and let me tell you what. I'm definitely not wearing... Uh, I don't know. Do you, do you think I wear pants when I do this show? I don't know. I'll, I'll let you guys take a gander. Um, I got all red. It's funny. Why am I embarrassed? I'm by myself in my freaking bedroom. It's funny. Um... I want to talk about the New Year's Bowls. (sighs) I need a break. I need water. I need to slow down. So. On New Year's Day, I watched a ton, a ton of football. There are three games I really want to talk about from New Year's Day. Uh, I don't watch all six of the New Year's Six Bowls. Some of them suck. Three were really good I want to talk about, though. So. The first game I want to talk about is number 11, LSU playing number eight, the University of Central Florida. Thank God, thank everybody, be so grateful that LSU beat UCF 40-32. to I'm so, so, so happy Central Florida lost. Uh, UCF was on a 25-game winning streak, and their fans were getting so, oh my gosh, so annoying. Um... People were saying, like, we want Bama, like, literally, as if Central Florida had a chance to ever compete with a team like Alabama. No way. Um, Here's the thing. UCF plays in the American Athletic Conference. They beat up on teams like Temple, Austin Pay, Navy, South Florida, teams that are completely unimpressive on a national scale. And look, they dominate them, right? They're clearly, UCF is clearly a step above the American Athletic Conference football teams. But... That doesn't mean they deserve a chance to play in the college football playoff. And if somehow University of Central Florida had beat LSU on, in their bowl game, all we would hear is we won 26 games in a row. We beat two SEC teams. We deserve a chance to be in the college football playoff. And they would have an argument because it wouldn't it wouldn't work. But if you look behind the story, um, you got to understand that LSU is missing eight Defensive players in their bowl game, either because they were ejected or because they were injured. And so when you when you realize kind of what's happening behind the scenes, it's far less impressive that Central Florida competed with LSU, an SEC team who's probably not jazzed to be there. And again, is missing eight of their starters on defense. Now, look, Central Florida had a fantastic, fantastic season. I, I mean to take nothing away, but I don't think they should be in the playoff. They got exactly what they deserved. They were eight team in the in the nation. Hey, they probably deserve that, right? They got a really good bowl game. They deserve that as well. They do not deserve a berth in the college football playoff. That would be delusional. Here's what you can do. If you're Central Florida, stop complaining about how you get screwed over every year. How about you schedule Florida and Florida State every single year? And when you beat Florida and Florida State in the same season, I'll shut up. I'll listen. I'll, I'll acknowledge, hey, you guys are pretty good. You beat two really good programs. But Central Florida, they play nobody every single year. They have a really light schedule, and they dominate a light schedule. That's fantastic, but they're never challenged. And so, I'm so so sick and tired of hearing of Central Florida. It just drives me nuts. Ah, oh, God! I just never. We everybody should be so grateful that Central Florida lost to LSU because we would never hear the end of it. And it would ne- just thank thank God LSU beat Central Florida. Let's talk about the Rose Bowl. Uh, this one will be brief. Uh, Ohio State beat the University of Washington 28-23 to in the Rose Bowl. And for most of the game, University of Washington just looked outmatched, outclassed. They did not look like they could hang or did not look like they belonged on the same field as Ohio State. Here's why. Ohio State is incredibly dominant up front physically. And if you watch the way Ohio State played and then watch the way... Jake Browning played, the, Washington, uh, the University of Washington quarterback. Ohio State's quarterback, Dwayne Haskins, had time for days in the pocket. There was no pressure coming on him because Ohio State's offensive line was dominating Washington's defensive line. Then on the flip side, Washington's offensive line was getting annihilated by Ohio State's defensive line. Jake Browning was running for his life most of the game because, oh, their offensive line sucked. It's really funny how we saw a team just get dominated, dominated at the line of scrimmage. Now, UW did make it interesting. They made it 23 to 28 late. Uh, But, man, I I think that game is a great example of why Jake Browning, Washington's quarterback, is not a great NFL prospect. He really, really struggled. There are times where, I think the biggest example I think of is, there was a time where the corner was sitting at like 15 yards, his running back was in the flat, and he could have just thrown it on a lineback shoulder. Instead, he tucked it, tried to run, got sacked, had a fumble. It was ugly. And there are so many times where Jake Browning has people open downfield He doesn't pull the trigger or he misses with an inaccurate throw. And I go, hey, either what are you thinking or how would you not make that throw? I don't understand. And it's really easy to be a Monday morning quarterback and kind of criticize Jake Browning. But I I legitimately do not think he's very good. And I don't think he's an NFL quarterback in any respect. Now, one more narrative from this game I think is really interesting from the Rose Bowl. So Ohio State, for the most part, dominated the University of Washington, especially up front on the offensive and defensive lines. Now, November 23rd, Washington University played Washington State. It's called the Apple Cup. It's a big thing if you live in Washington. The winner goes to the Pac-12 Championship, and the winner of the Pac-12 Championship goes on to the Rose Bowl. Now, on November 23rd, Washington dominated Washington State up front. Their offensive and defensive lines annihilated Washington State. So imagine this. Imagine somehow that Washington State beat UW. And they ended up in the Pac-12 Championship game. And let's go all the way to Washington State is in the Rose Bowl. Imagine Washington State played Ohio State in the Rose Bowl. I'm so glad. If you're a Washington State fan, you should be so, so grateful your team did not go to the Rose Bowl. It would have been 50 to zero. 50 to zero. It would have been awful. Ohio State would have decimated and annihilated Washington State. And so, man, Washington State fans just better be glad they lost in the Apple Cup to Washington uh, because I know Washington state, Washington and Washington state fans, WSU fans should be grateful. They got an Alamo bowl. They got to win. They got to win their bowl game. Be very happy that Washington state did not play in the Rose bowl. They would have gotten murdered. Okay. Uh, one more thing I want to talk about is the sugar bowl, Texas beat Georgia, Texas beat Georgia 28 to 21. Very, very interesting. And I'm going to say something really, really cliche, but it's true. Texas wanted to win the game more than Georgia. Georgia looked like they were sleepwalking. Georgia did not appear interested in the game at all. At least did not appear interested in winning the game. They just didn't care. It, It was apparent to me when watching the Sugar Bowl, Georgia's season unofficially ended when they lost to Alabama in the SEC championship game. All the spirit, all the passion was gone from Georgia when they played Texas. They didn't care. In the Sugar Bowl, they had two turnovers. They had poor tackling, lack of effort. Their punter was a mess. It was ugly. And, and I credit Texas, right? Texas played hungry. They wanted to win their bowl game. They had something to prove. Hey, fantastic. Well done, guys. And after the game, Sam Erlinger, the Texas quarterback, said, we're back. And it was cool. Like a good moment. But we got to ask, is Texas really back? And what does that actually mean? Because when you say we're back, there's no definition there. It's like, we're back. Okay what's back back to being good back to winning national championships probably not um, how do you define back? Here's what I'll say about Texas. they went 10 and four had a great season they lost four games that's not an elite team that's a really solid team I think they finished 15th in the country that's exactly where Texas belongs. Texas is may not be I don't quote I don't know what back means right We're back I don't know what that means at all but Texas is nationally interesting. I, as someone who's not from Texas, I've only been in Texas once in my life, don't really have a great reason to care about Texas football. But because of their win over Georgia, they're now nationally interesting. Texas grabs my attention from afar. They play nationally ranked games. I will now watch because at Texas earned my respect by the, with the way they beat Georgia. Now, September 7th, 2019. LSU will play the University of Austin, Texas, University of Texas. Texas, LSU, September 7th, 2019. If Texas wins that game, then they're back. Right now, they're nationally interesting. They are some, a team I want to watch, I'm curious about. But if they beat LSU on September 7th next year, week two next season, Texas is back. That would be fantastic. That's a game I already, it's, we're like 20 months away. We're nine months away from that. I'm already like, I cannot wait to watch Texas and LSU on September 7th. It's going to be a great game. going to be a fantastic game. That's how we can define as Texas back. Texas, I don't know what back means, but they are nationally interesting. <clears throat> so. <sighs> um, Oregon Ducks quarterback, Justin Herbert. Uh, is staying in Oregon. He decided he's not going to go to the NFL draft. He will stay at the University of Oregon for his final, I think it's his last year. Yes, his senior year is next year. So he will stay at the University of Oregon for one more season. And a lot of people have heard this. People said, well, the Ducks have a brutal schedule next year. Here's how apparently brutal is defined by a lot of people. The Ducks play at Washington, at Stanford, at USC, and they play one early game. They do play a tough game early against Auburn. However, Auburn did lose their quarterback. So Jarrett Stidham's gone from Auburn. How good is Auburn going to be? I don't know. Maybe they get the uh, quarterback transfer, Tyree Jackson from Buffalo. Who knows? It's a great spot, man. I never thought about that till just now. Tyree Jackson should go to Auburn. But yes, Oregon has four pretty tough games. They play Auburn, an SEC team, at Washington, at USC, at Stanford. But for the most part, that's just a normal Pac-12 schedule. It's not like, oh no! Like, it, yeah, it'd be nice to play USC at home. It'd be nice to play Washington at home. But it's not the end of the world. But here's what's interesting. Um, a lot of people are saying that Justin Herbert staying is good for the University of Oregon. Like, oh, yeah, Oregon. We're going to come back. We're going to have a great year. We're going to make the playoff. Blah, 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 blah. This is not a good move for Oregon. I mean, it's good for Oregon, but it's better For Justin Herbert, as good as it might be for University of Oregon fans that their quarterback is coming back to play a senior year. I think it's even better for Justin Herbert. He's going to get one more year of development, one more year of polish, one more year to get better before he enters the NFL draft. I think it's, there's a wrinkle here that no one talks, I think a lot of people are talking about is, is this a risk? Yes. Justin Herbert is taking a risk By staying in college. Because right now, if Justin Herbert were to go to the NFL this very moment, he would be the number one quarterback chosen, probably, in the NFL draft. And you're risking that all by staying in college. What if something happens? What if you don't play as well? Then your draft stock will fall. I think the last time I remember that happening in a very significant way is Matt Barkley. Former USC Matt Barkley, if he left after his junior year, would have been a number one quarterback chosen in the NFL draft. He stayed his senior year, wasn't as good, became a third, fourth round pick. So I don't know whether Justin Herbert's stock is going to take a hit or not in the draft. But I know this. If Justin Herbert's draft stock went from the first quarterback chosen to a third round pick, all that would mean is, oh, good. We learned Justin Herbert really isn't as good as we thought. He had everybody fooled last year. Oh, but when it came down to business, he wasn't really that good. You don't want to fool people. It hurts your career long-term. You don't want to be drafted for something you're not ready for. And so Justin Herbert staying in Oregon gives him time to be more prepared so that when he does eventually go to the NFL, he will be more successful. Yeah, it might be a personal finance hit, right? He might lose millions of dollars. That sucks. But from a football standpoint, if Justin Herbert goes right now and he's not ready, he busts, I, I don't know. That's, I mean, twenty million million sounds really good. That's awesome. But I don't think he make that much. And I know this, if he stays in college and is terrible in the NFL, well, he did everything he could, right? He was as prepared as he possibly could be. I think Justin Herbert staying at Oregon is really, really good. I don't know that Oregon's going to have a great season, but I think Justin Herbert is going to get better at football. And if I'm an NFL fan, if I'm the Jaguars, the Giants, who knows if I'm a quarter, a team that needs a quarterback down the road. I'm really, really grateful to hear that Justin Herbert's staying at Oregon because when we do get him, whenever the NFL gets their hands on Justin Herbert, he'll be a better quarterback a year from now than he will be right this moment. So again, Justin Herbert staying at Oregon. It's better for Justin Herbert than it is for Oregon Duck fans. Duck fans are all excited. We're going to make the playoff. I'm not convinced, but the time is going to allow Justin Herbert to get even better and more prepared for the NFL. on topic of the day. Last thing I want to talk about today. Um, I need some water first. <laughs> There's a song in my heart. I want to sing today. I don't know why, but the minute this show is over, I'm just gonna sing really loud, be very happy. it's, just, it's how I feel right now. Um <clears throat> There are three wide receivers that I would draft. In the next couple years, these are not the best wide receivers. These are receivers either entering the NFL draft this year or next year. Three wide receivers I really, really love that are just underappreciated. They're diamonds in the rough. They're guys I like in spite of their limitations. And these are guys I would draft later in the draft that I think are very, very interesting NFL prospects. The first one is David Sills, wide receiver from West Virginia. If you remember a couple years ago, when I was a kid, uh, like, I think this, David Sills and I were the same age, actually. David Sills was a quarterback who got offered a scholarship to USC when he was 14 years old. Anybody remember that story? If you do, you do. If you don't, you don't. David Sills switched from quarterback to wide receiver. He now plays for um, West Virginia. He had 18 touchdowns last year, 15 touchdowns this year. He's a converted quarterback turned into a wide receiver. He's 6'4". He's really raw, but he is incredibly, incredibly gifted as an athlete. I love his ability to jump. He, he's great at jump balls. He goes after the football. And he's got a really good natural athletic ability. I look at David Sills and see a guy who needs to be molded, who needs to be developed, who needs better coaching. He needs better route running ability. But he's got a lot of potential. And so this is not a guy I would pick early in the draft. This is a guy I'd pick later in the draft. But if I'm a team that has the time and the patience to wait a year to let David Sills sit on the bench, learn how to run better routes, get better coaching, I would absolutely draft David Sills because he's a freak of nature athlete that a lot of people I think might overlook in the NFL. And I don't know if the Steelers draft him, I don't know if the Patriots draft him, but a team like that, a team that's really savvy, especially the Steelers who are savvy with receivers, if the Steelers drafted David Sills, gave him a year to sit, learn behind the other wide receivers in Pittsburgh, he could be a fantastic asset down the road. The second wide receiver I want to talk about, I think is really underrated and, and very interesting as a prospect is Hunter Renfro, the wide receiver from Clemson. I love, I love, I love, I love Hunter Renfro. First of all, it feels like Hunter Renfro has been at Clemson for like the last 20 years, since 2020. It's like, how, how long, like, it feels like he's been there for 10 years. I don't know. Uh, the guy played with Deshaun Watson. He played with Kelly Bryant last year. Now he's playing with Trevor Lawrence. He's had three quarterbacks in four seasons. And by the way, Hunter Renfro is a walk-on, a former walk-on at Clemson. Now he's 5'10". He's not the best athlete, but he runs really really good, very technically sound routes, and he's always in the right spot. He's not a great athlete. He, he's not going to be the guy you throw jump balls to. He's more of a gadget guy like a Julian Edelman, Wes Welker, but he's a really coachable person, to, again, who walked on to West to where's he go to go? To walked on to Clemson. That's really fascinating. A guy who walked on clearly has a really good work ethic. And he walked on and then played for four seasons. If I'm an NFL coach, I absolutely want Hunter Renfro as a part of my football team. He's a wide receiver. I think is kind of underrated that I really, really find interesting as an NFL prospect. Now, the third wide receiver that I'm interested in that is undervalued, maybe underappreciated. He's the guy he's only a junior and he will not come out till the 2020 NFL draft. It's Aesop Winston Jr., a wide receiver from Washington State. He's a, a highly average athlete, right? He's not a great athlete. He's 5'11", 190. I mean, he's faster than me, but that's not saying very much. But this guy catches everything. Aesop Winston Jr. is like a Hoover vacuum. You throw the ball in his direction, he finds a way to pull it in. And that's, how is that not the most valued thing for a receiver? We, get, we fall in love with height and weight, and ability to jump. Does he catch the dang football? That's maybe the most important thing. And Aesop Winston Jr. catches the football Basically, every time you throw in the ball, at one point, he led college football in passes with the fewest drops. So like he had, I think, 47 catches and zero drops at one point in a college football season. He still has the fewest drops, I think, in all of college football. It's unbelievable. It's He's a stud. Again, he's not going to enter the NFL draft until 2020. But Aesop Winston Jr. is someone who is not a great athlete. He's not your number one wide receiver. But he's a guy I'd want on my team because he catches everything. He clearly works hard. He's had a really rough journey. He spent three years in junior college earning a scholarship to get to Washington State. Now he's got two years at Washington State. He's just an impressive person with a really impressive resume. And the fact that he kept working and keeps going at it, despite the fact he's not a great athlete, still dominating in the Pac-12, Aesop Winston Jr. is a guy I tremendously respect. And this list was not for wide receivers who are the best athletes, who are the best wide receivers in the NFL draft. But these are guys, diamonds in the roughs, David Sills, Hunter Renfro. Aesop Winston Jr., three guys that I think are really undervalued and I think are, I, I don't know they're going to have great legendary NFL careers, but they're guys I would draft that I'd want to be a part of my team for either their attitude, their work ethic, or the combination of both and the ability to catch the football in Aesop Winston Jr.'s case. These are guys I want to be on my team and three wide receivers who are vastly underappreciated and not talked about quite enough in college football. Again, for good reason. They're not the best of the best. But a casual football fan doesn't know their names, and they should. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. This has been Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much uh, for humoring me. This is my, my passion. It's my favorite thing in the world. And so uh, thank you so very much. I really hope you guys have a great weekend. I'm going to get this video out as soon as possible. I'm going to put the, probably before I even launch the entire podcast, I'll just put out my prediction show in like 20 minutes. because I just want to get it out to people as soon as possible. Um, but again, thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Remember, you can subscribe, share iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube. Tell your friends about it, yada yada. Um, and I just more than anything, really appreciate you guys. We'll be back on probably Tuesday. Late, the show will post probably late on Tuesday because I'm going to watch the national championship on Monday, and they got a lot of football stuff I want to catch up with on the weekend. Some film review stuff. I'm going to talk about Jimmy Garoppolo. Talk about Tyree Jackson. We'll talk about Teddy Bridgewater. A lot of really good stuff. I already know that Tuesday's show is going to be jam packed with a lot of great topics. And so I'm really, really excited for the future. Thank you so much. Have a great day. ba bum bam, we are done. Bye.